Welcome to this edition of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. My name is Caroline Kremer, and I'm the content director of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. Today, I'm excited to speak with Colleen Briggs, the head of community innovation at JPMorgan Chase. In this role, Colleen is responsible for establishing and executing the firm's global philanthropic and corporate responsibility strategies on financial inclusion. Colleen and her team at JPMorgan Chase have launched the Financial Institutions Lab, a community of startups and financial institutions in partnership with the Center for Financial Services Innovation to develop fintech tools that promote financial health among overlooked Americans. The lab has been in existence for three years now, and in February, the lab launched a competition for the fourth class of fintech companies that will be joining the lab to receive financial backing, mentorship, and other resources to develop their products. So welcome, Colleen, and we're really excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'd love to start with some background on yourself. Um, how, you, how did you end up at J.P. Morgan and leading this type of work on behalf of the bank? Yeah, so I actually sort of first started um, really right after school, um, I, you know, after undergrad, where I was actually working as a financial coach in a food bank. That's what I first started to really work on financial service issues and really understanding some of the biggest challenges that were facing low-income populations. Um, I spent some time abroad as well as um, spending some time on the consumer advocacy world um, all around sort of really understanding how could we think about creating better opportunities for maybe those who are being left behind by today's economy. Um, I then spent the next few years in government, so worked um, both in the House of Representatives as well as the Senate on financial service policy to really understand and what were the policy levers and the role that government could play to facilitate improved access to financial services for low-income populations. Uh, then I pivoted to business school where I got to spend some time really thinking about what I wanted to do next, and I had an opportunity to intern with J.P. Morgan, and we got um, the opportunity to work specifically on financial inclusion. And I think, you know, I was pretty struck. Uh, I did do quite a few internships when I was getting my MBA, um, but I was really excited about J.P. Morgan Chase in particular because of the fact that they were really committing sort of the full assets of the firm to thinking about how we could make a difference around improving the financial health of low-income populations. So it was a really good fit and aligned with my interests and background. And so I joined full-time after business school and have been here ever since, really focused on standing up the strategy um, for our corporate responsibility and for the firm around how we can bring our data, our expertise, and our networks to think about ways to improve the financial well-being of low-income populations globally. That's great. It's interesting to see a transition from uh, nonprofit to public sector and now we're looking at this angle from, from the private sector um, lens. Um, I know one of the big things that J.P. Morgan is focusing on and that you're working is, as mentioned before, the Financial Institutions Lab. Could you talk a little bit more about how that works and maybe also describe J.P. Morgan's partnership with um, the CFSI? Uh, our listeners might not be familiar with, with that institution and would, would like to hear more about, about that partnership and, and how the Financial Institution Lab works. Yeah, happy to talk about it. So this actually started, you know, with when we were really trying to understand the problem. And, you know, we know that more than 3 billion people globally uh, remain underserved by the financial systems. And here in the U.S., this problem was particularly acute when we saw some of our own research um, that showed that almost half of Americans are struggling with financial insecurity. So that means they have high levels of debt, 
your regular income. Um, they might have difficulty saving. In fact, 44% of Americans couldn't come up with a $400 without borrowing or selling something. And so you know, really at the time, most institutions or most efforts were focused on traditional financial literacy. If we just gave people better information, that they would make better decisions. But really all the research showed that that wasn't enough. You know, we really had to bring what we were learning from behavioral economics and design, which is that you really need to be able to give people the information they need um, and deliver it with a product designed to meet their needs so they can put that information into action. And that really required us to have better products and services that were actually sort of meeting the needs of low-income populations. And what was really exciting is also the role of technology. That was, you know, we've all been seeing sort of the tremendous um, influences that it's had on the financial services landscape. But what's particularly exciting is the potential that it's offering to improve the delivery of financial products for low-income populations. And some of the most interesting innovations that we were seeing were actually coming from some new uh, fintech startups, financial technology companies who were entering the market and were designing new solutions that were really delivered at a lower cost to low-income populations, but were still affordable and really targeting some of the biggest pain points that consumers were facing. But these fintech companies were really struggling getting to scale. And so you know, they struggled getting access to capital. Um, often they needed technical assistance uh, to actually help them improve their product and get them additional funding. And so that's where we partnered with the Center for Financial Services Innovation, or CFSI. Uh, they're one of the preeminent nonprofits in the, in the um, country really focused on improving the financial health of low-income populations. And in 2014, we joined forces um, as the firm and CFSI to launch the Financial Solutions Lab, which is focused on how can we help support the sort of next generation of financial technology companies who are designing solutions that will improve financial health in the U.S. And so over the last three years, I, you know, I think we've been really blown away by the, um, just the quality of applications. We've had over 1,000 applications to the program all focused on you know, new solutions to improve financial well-being in the U.S. And we've been able to support 26 companies out of that very large applicant pool. Um, and what's unique about the lab is that you're bringing experts from CFSI as well as experts from J.P. Morgan. So we bring subject matter experts to provide mentorship to the companies. Um, we also bring in resource partners like design firms, uh, legal and regulatory support firms to help these companies be successful. And so those 26 companies that we've supported to date um, have been able to increase the reach of their products pretty significantly. They're now helping more than 2.5 million Americans improve their financial health. Uh, they're helping these consumers save over a billion dollars to date using the products. Um, thousands more customers have been able to improve credit scores or reduce their debt. And I think for us what's so exciting is that we're really seeing not only a huge impact on the consumers that they're helping, but some broader interest in FinTech and more innovation that's happening throughout the whole financial service ecosystem as a result of this effort. That's great. It's, uh, the impact in such a short time is, uh, is definitely clear. I'd love to you know, jump into some case studies of innovative technologies incubated within the lab, maybe talking about the problem area that a, that a company is working on, how the lab and both JP Morgan and CFSI supported the, uh, the company and, and what they're doing now. Um, if you could sort of walk us through an example, I think that would really bring the, the real holistic impact of the lab to light for our listeners. Yeah, I think what's really 
interesting from our perspective is that we're seeing more of this financial technology really targeting overlooked populations. You know, maybe those consumers who have been traditionally left behind. Uh, we often talk about you know, that we're seeing the racial wealth divide has been actually growing, um, but the digital divide is actually shrinking. You know, for example, we're seeing 91% of black households using smartphones, um, many of those that might be their only way of accessing technology. And so what's exciting for us is we're seeing FinTech solutions that are really targeting some of the biggest challenges of traditionally sort of underserved populations and coming up with solutions that really do meet their needs and meet them where they are. And so, you know, one example of that is uh, Propel, which was actually a winner from our first class. So um, just to sort of context, there's 42 million Americans or one in seven people in America rely on food stamps to feed their family. And Propel is a solution that tries to help these food stamp recipients manage their grocery spending and actually make their benefits go farther. And so when they actually joined the lab, um, they're a good example. Of, they were focused on actually a little bit of a different issue. They were focusing on how can we help people enroll in food stamp program. But when they were talking to customers, um, they actually found that one of the bigger pain points was that it was challenging to even check what's your monthly balance. Um, Typically, you actually had to call uh, to figure out what your monthly balance for your food stamps are, or you had to track it manually, which was really challenging for many consumers who often have multiple jobs or sort of have very busy lives. And so actually with their mentorship that they received from J.P. Morgan, um, they had some really great executives here who helped coach them on how they could pivot the product to actually have a bigger impact. Um, and so now they're helping these food stamp recipients check their balances and actually manage their grocery spending um, in an easier way. And so they've been able to pivot the product. And because of that pivot, it's now being used by over a million Americans each month. Um, they have been able to estimate that they've eliminated over a million hungry days for every month of its user um, because they're able to help people really stretch their benefits, get them to go farther. Um, they also give them other tools that actually sort of help them save money um, on their food and, and grocery shopping. And I think what's also important is that we're seeing follow-on capital. Um, you know, it's not only user growth, but they were recently able to secure you know, $4 million in funding from some, pretty, some large institutional investors. Um, like Andreessen Horowitz and others. So we're seeing some pretty significant traction. And they really do credit the lab with sort of helping them not only with that early catalytic capital that they needed to get moving, but also that mentorship from experts who had been in this industry for a long time to help them improve their product and ultimately make the pivot that helped them get to scale. That's great. I, I know from uh, my previous work experience that the, the importance of securing the follow-on capital after coming out of an incubator setting is so key to the future successful growth of a company. Um, and to be able to have case studies of companies that have really raised super high-quality institutional venture money beyond uh, the incubator, their days at an incubator is, is really wonderful to hear. I think on the flip side, I'd just love to know about some of the difficulties of um, incubating and growing really early stage technologies related to financial inclusion. What are some of the patterns that you've seen across the, um, the competitions and across the companies that you've worked with in terms of really challenges of whether it's related to technology, related to um, customer acquisition and adoption, or uh, potentially future growth that you've seen that are sort of resonate across the types of companies that you're working with? Yeah, it's a great question. And there still are a lot of challenges that remain. Uh, you know, we still see difficulty raising capital. Um, you know, 
this is, this is true globally, but um, even true in the U.S. Even though you're seeing a huge growth of investment in FinTech, we're still seeing challenges of FinTech companies who are focused on low-income populations being able to access capital that they need to, to be able to grow. And so I think part of what we do with the lab is trying to connect them with other investors. How do we educate the investment community to understand this tremendous market opportunity? You know, um, Right now, underserved households are spending you know, billions of dollars on fees each year. This is a market opportunity to sort of serve this segment with more affordable products and services. Um, and so how do we help the investment community really understand that and give them the patient capital they need to grow? Um, and understanding this is very sort of a different um, maybe exit strategy or a different valuation model than maybe some other tech firms that maybe investors are more traditionally used to investing in. So that's sort of one pain point we've seen. Um, another has been partnerships. Um, you know, for many of these companies to get to scale, that requires them to partner with uh, financial institutions, employers, potentially nonprofits, that will help them ultimately reach the consumers that they're trying to um, really have an impact on. And so but that often requires very long sales cycles, um, which can be you know, challenging for some of these early stage startups. Um, so we've been trying to help facilitate those partnerships when possible, um, as well as sort of help um, you know, the companies get more ready for a partnership opportunity. So we give them a lot of training from our colleagues here in compliance and from other groups about sort of what does it take to get through security systems? How do you get ready when you're uh, for all of the third-party oversight requirements and all of those pieces so you're successful and, and ready to go when a partnership comes your way? Um, another challenge we continue to, to hear is really um, truly understanding the customer. I mean, this still gets probably one of the most important things we do when we look for companies is that they understand the customer, um, but really sort of making sure that you are um, really meeting the needs of those customers and evolving over time and continuing to iterate the product to be stronger. And so it's great where CFSI is able to bring some of their depth and research uh, of really understanding the biggest needs facing low-income populations. We're able to draw from our um, J.P. Morgan Chase Institute that looks at anonymized transaction-level data of Chase customers to understand some of the financial challenges that might be facing um, you know, everyday Americans. And so bringing those insights to these companies in a way that they can actually translate to improve their product and, and continue to um, you know, ultimately get more traction I think is always something of interest. Um, you know, and then there's there's so many others. So, you know, talent continues to be a challenge. How do we get good tech talent? You know, focus on this. How do you um, make sure that um, you're also sort of building out the right technology systems? When do you, you know, buy some of the part, the really expensive technology? When do you um, try some of the sort of open source or sort of cloud-based systems? Um, you know, in addition to sort of regulatory issues and, and legal issues which continue to be a challenge for these companies. So I would say it's, it's definitely a long list, but that's partially how we built the Accelerator through the Financial Solutions Lab is let's bring in those resource partners who can help address these pain points and help these companies um, get the, the sort of expertise and the support they need when they need it, not just sort of a generic one-size-fits-all, you get everything, but really sort of targeting that support um, in a way that's hopefully more impactful for their growth. That's very clear, the sort of complementary skill sets and uh, resource bases of CFSI and JP Morgan that they're together bringing to companies uh, at the early stage. 
Um, and, and what's the update on the uh, fourth uh, launch of the financial institutions competition? Uh, where, where do you guys stand and what are the types of companies that look interesting this year? Yeah, so actually in February we launched, as you mentioned, our fourth competition. Um, and this year we're looking again for solutions that are broadly focused on improving the financial health of often overlooked populations. And we've got lots of sort of research out there sort of highlighting the opportunity and the needs, uh, particularly for some groups um, that maybe traditionally haven't been served um, as well, which are you know things like low-income women or communities of color. But one of the insights we had is that we also know that more diverse teams really can lead to more inclusive solutions that ultimately will better serve those overlooked populations. And so we did sort of shine a spotlight on um, in particular looking for founders um, who are from diverse backgrounds as well as sort of have diverse teams who are designing the products and supporting them because we found that that can play such an important role of improving the impact of the, pro of the products that are being developed. So you know, we have a lot of great partnerships with accelerators around the country who are focused on diversity who can help us with that pipeline. And you know, look, this isn't something we're going to solve overnight. This is a huge you know, industry-wide problem but, um, and challenge, but something that I think by shining a spotlight on this and being really intentional about it, we hope to you know, at least contribute to the conversation and really unearth where there might be some exciting opportunities um, where maybe we hadn't identified them previously. That's fantastic and I think is um, resonant with what we at Wharton FinTech want to do to make sure that we showcase uh, diverse um, people in the industry and uh, across founders, investors, operators. Um, and great to hear that uh, an institution as large as JP Morgan is really taking a vocal um, uh, stand on, on issues of diversity within founding, founding teams and being able to um, really have an impact. And, and so that's great to hear from our, our perspective. I'd love to transition to the Catalyst Fund, which I understand the, the Catalyst Fund provides funding and resources to fintech startups in emerging economies and has kind of come out of the learnings of the Financial uh, Solutions Lab. Could you give us an overview of the Catalyst Fund um, and your role and, and what the fund is up to today? Yeah, so this uh, is a partnership with the Gates Foundation um, and Bankable Frontiers Associates that launched two years ago. Um, and it really did take sort of what we were seeing that was working really well in the U.S. with the Financial Solutions Lab, which is if we can really help these early stage startups um, de-risk with really customized technical assistance and capital that that can have a really big impact on their growth. And what we found was in the emerging markets, there were some really interesting and exciting innovations that were happening with FinTech companies focused on low-income populations, but there was a really large funding gap, a very challenging sort of um, gap of support that was helping post sort of ideation and pre-seed companies get to that next level of funding. And it actually sort of came from hearing from impact investors who were saying um, there's not enough deals out there. Um, and yet we were also seeing that only sort of 1% of impact investing capital was actually going into early stage startups. And so this felt like a really good way, place for us to uh, intervene and try to make a difference. So we actually collected a group of impact investors who are really leaders in financial inclusion, um, who are often the ones who are seeing a lot of these deals globally, and they're helping us source these early stage sort of pre-seed fintech companies in emerging markets. And um, helping sort of identify those that might be really sort of ripe for additional support 
uh, through technical assistance and capital to get them to that next level of funding. And so they help us source the deals, um, and then they sponsor them. And then Bankable Frontiers Associates gives them pretty in-depth technical assistance um, as well as capital to get them hopefully to that sort of product market fit and ultimately that sort of next series of funding um, to help them really get to that next level of growth. And what's great is that it started with the impact investor community, but we found there was so much interest from the broader investor community that we added a uh, broader sort of committee of investors who are advisors who are often sort of informal coaches or helping us source deals informally. We have now more than 30 investors on that sort of broader committee. Um, to date we've supported 15 startups in emerging markets um, all around the world you know, who are really coming up with some innovative models of serving low-income consumers um, in emerging markets. And what's great is you know, it's a good example of sort of how you can help these early stage startups get that initial funding but immediately connect to additional funding to help them grow as we were talking about earlier. Um, and we're seeing some really good examples of um, diversity in the solution. So it's everything from small dollar credit um, to some interesting new insurance models in Africa um, to new savings products in Colombia. So it's a very diverse cohort, um, but a lot of really interesting solutions that we think can have a really big impact on low-income consumers globally. And understanding that traditional financial institutions have a, a highly uh, less much lower uh, degree of penetration in emerging economies. What do you see you know, across Latin America and, and Africa as some of the sort of structural advantages for these fintech startups? Yeah, so there's, there's still a lot of challenges, I will note. Um, sometimes even harder to raise early uh, angel funding in some of these markets than it is in, in the developed countries. Um, but there are some advantages, as you noted. You know, one advantage is we are seeing you know, a high penetration of smartphone um, as well as feature phone um, in Africa, more smartphone in Latin America, um, penetration in low-income communities where we're seeing um, a lot of opportunity for um, to move beyond payments where we're seeing a high adoption rate, but towards sort of offering a suite of financial service products that are all digital. And you're seeing a high adoption by even low-income populations um, compared to some developed markets where we still see some trust barriers or some concerns, we're seeing sort of higher adoption rates in emerging markets. Um, not to say that it's 100% solved, you still need to figure out some of those trust barriers, but some, some pretty tremendous opportunity there. I'd say another one is the regulatory environment. Um, we tend to see in some of these markets um, can really be receptive to a lot of these new emerging technologies in a way that can um, be really beneficial to them. Uh, there are still some challenges that remain there as well, and again, changes by market. Um, but I think um, from our perspective, you know, we're also just sort of seeing a lot of new technology entrants who are coming in. Um, who could be potential partners for fintech companies beyond financial institutions. So that could be um, telecom companies or others. So there's some new interesting partnership opportunities in some developed markets that maybe we don't see in others, um, which I think is really promising. So I think from our perspective, while there are some pretty significant challenges that remain around you know, helping these fintech companies get to scale, I think the, the potential sort of opportunity definitely outweighs those challenges, which is why we're sort of investing so heavily and, and helping them navigate to sort of make the most of those opportunities and overcome any of those barriers that are remaining. 
And I'd love to learn a little more about how um, some of the companies in emerging markets that you're working with are using data. I think that it's, it's clear from uh, fintech companies, both public unicorns and, and emerging companies in the U.S., that data is such a key part of uh, providing a service and also uh, reaching new customers. Do you have an example of sort of an innovative way that a, a company that you've worked with uh, through the Catalyst Fund is, is using data potentially in uh, uh, operating in a market where um, users have just a lot less uh, financial history that is uh, readily available? Yeah, I think you're spot on. The opportunity is huge. Um, you know, as we think about the opportunity to develop and create a digital ID, that that can really sort of help you create, um, you know, really that sort of that history or that background that you wouldn't necessarily have had if you were only looking at traditional banking information. And so what's exciting is you're able to sort of help someone who might have been invisible to the banking system previously enter through their digital um, data. And so I think from that's another area that I think is really exciting um, in emerging markets. You know, I think India is a great example where the government has really put a pretty concerted effort around you know, how can we help digitize um, you know, biometric IDs for low-income populations and for all, all Indians in a way that helps it, makes it easier for them to enter the formal financial system. Um, now you're seeing that they're able to sort of use that as a way to enroll into more financial accounts. And so we're seeing more people open accounts, but many of those are still dormant. And so that's where it's exciting where some of these FinTech companies can come in and sort of provide additional support to help these um, you know, these users and these customers go beyond a bank account because we know bank accounts alone are not going to sort of service all of their financial needs. So how can we, you know, bring that, um, you know, to more people? You know, one example of where this is being done really interestingly is actually in Africa with a company called Smile ID. Um, and this is sort of also thinking about how we can help facilitate that ID enrollment because we know that that's such a barrier, being able to verify someone's uh, identity and to help them sort of be able to offer other products. Um, they actually are able to sort of take smiles or selfies of, of individuals as a way to identify their, um, who they are and, and you know, confirm that they really are sort of meeting some of the KYC challenges um, that we've seen in other markets. The challenge was is actually when they first came to Catalyst Fund, they were using a lot of faces that were based on um, you know, American databases of faces, and so they actually didn't work with um, black faces and, and darker faces. And so that was part of the service that Catalyst Fund was able to help them with, is you can use this data, but it's got, you've got to make sure the inputs are the right inputs for your sort of technology to work. So they had built a phenomenal, um, you know, tech platform, but if the data that's going into that is, a, is flawed, then that can have a, you know, a limited impact. So now working with Catalyst Fund and with the Bank Wall Frontiers team, um, they were able to sort of build up their machine learning work and really sort of bring in sort of that better data, put it into the strong algorithm that SmileID had created in a way that's actually sort of made a much bigger impact and gotten more traction. Um, so that's probably just sort of one example of how this has been doing, going really well. That's great. That's uh, fascinating to hear about how uh, machine learning can really be so useful in these kind of situations. But again, it's the machine that has to iterate and, and learn over time and to adapt it to a local context um, is obviously you know, of paramount importance um, in, in, in these situations. I'd love to, to sort of get a deep dive onto the, the regions of focus. I understand that 
the catalyst is focused on Latin America and Africa. Wharton, we have um, large communities of people from both regions and also going to work in, in both regions and would love to hear a little bit more about the specific issues and um, focuses of of the Cattle Fund in first Latin America and then Africa and maybe um, some of the some of the work that the companies that you're working with are focused on in each region. Yeah, so you know what's unique about this is that um, it really is up to the impact investors to source innovation. So we say to them, you have the world at your you know disposal. You help us identify what are the most interesting inclusive fintech companies, regardless of where they're based, that you believe can really have a catalytic impact on improving financial well-being of low-income populations. So to date, uh, through the Catalyst Fund, we've had four companies come through in Latin America. Uh, we've had 10 in Africa. Um, and then we've had two in Asia. Um, and so you know, part of what you're seeing there is there's clearly sort of a heavier focus on our, from our impact investors on those markets. Um, but I think what's also interesting is that also means that there's a lot of opportunity in these markets as well. That we're seeing really strong um, companies that are coming up but just need a little bit more support to get them to the next level. Um, you know, I think what's also interesting is when we first, sort of first launched this, we weren't sure what type of solutions we would get. Um, but I think, and, and would the lessons be applicable across markets? So where maybe, um, you know, what we found is in Latin America, there's higher smartphone penetration, for example, and then in Africa, higher feature phone penetration. That obviously sort of changes the types of solutions that you see. Um, there's obviously different infrastructure, the very different regulatory environments in different countries. So those are sort of seeing maybe where you see some changes across the companies that were coming, where you might see software as a service more in some, or um, insurance tech and others. Um, but that's been sort of an interesting um, sort of one insight. I think another one that's interesting is sort of the stage of companies. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of the companies that are coming through, regardless of those markets, Africa or Latin America, who are you know, actually just sort of focus on validating their concepts and iterating. They're in a beta testing, that sort of lean experiment mode, um, which is where they're struggling to get the funding, but we know is where you can have a really big impact to, to really understand your customer and design a better product. Um, so that's been sort of one theme that we've seen even, even across regions um, where it's had a big uh, sort of focus. But I would say, you know, going forward, we've got, we're sort of in our sort of final stage right now of the program, sourcing additional companies to be part of the program. And you know, yet again, we sort of asked um, our impact investors to really push themselves to think about you know, what companies do they see um, that are really interesting, but also um, maybe are representative of some of the geographies that we haven't seen represented here. And so that's sort of something we'll be waiting to, to see some of their nominees coming up in the next few months. That's great. And, um, Thinking about all of the, the reach of, of the programs uh, on which you work, both in the U.S. and Latin America and Africa, what's something that you're not currently working on that excites you or maybe is an opportunity for, for the future? Yeah, so I am personally really, there's a lot of things that are really exciting <laughs> right now. You know, I would say, uh, one, we're still not seeing sort of, I think, the full potential of AI and machine learning to really serve low-income populations. We're seeing sort of some of it starting, and, um, and obviously those are sort of both buzzwords, and it's only as good as the data that goes into it, but I think there's a lot more that could be done there um, to help sort of improve services for low-income populations. Um, 
I also still think there's a lot more to do around sort of the role of blockchain to facilitate financial inclusion, you know, thinking about new ways of lowering the costs and improving transparency, um, you know, providing greater security and hopefully faster settlement options. So I think, you know, that's something that we haven't really seen really in, in either, that many of the solutions being built on blockchain, um, but I think there's an opportunity there going forward. Um, you actually mentioned alternative data. I still think there's a lot more we can learn from and do around that. Um, and also really making sure that there's not any biases in that data that we're just entrenching. Um, I think sometimes we look at data and assume that because it's data that it's always correct, but we need to always sort of challenge the assumptions that went into the data in the first place as well as the algorithms that are being used. So I still think that's sort of an emerging area where a lot more can be done um, and there's still a lot of exciting opportunities. Um, and then, you know, finally, I'm still sort of interested in, um, you know, the role of APIs, particularly um, that we've got sort of all of these new solutions that are coming up and can create sometimes a more fragmented customer experience. Is there a way for us to think about sort of how these solutions build on each other? Um, and given that many of the consumers we're trying to reach live such, um, you know, stressful and um, very challenging lives, you know, how do we make sure that as we introduce all of these new products that are you know, targeted to very specific needs that we actually introduce them in a way that doesn't complicate their lives further, but really is sort of integrated um, and with one another and sort of seamlessly delivered in a way that, that ultimately sort of helps um, you know, improve how they're being able to manage their financial lives. So that was a, a lot of them. <laughs> no, no. It, it's clear that the, the market opportunity globally for just if you look at the subset of you know, financial inclusion technologies is, is huge. And it's great to see that uh, an institution with the clout, the resources, the cachet of JP Morgan is really um, invested in, in this as a both problem and potential business area going forward globally. Um, and so it's been really great to chat with you and um, really hope to hear for, further updates about um, this round of the Financial Services Lab competition and look forward to hearing what new uh, technologies come out of J.P. Morgan in, in the near future. Great. Well, thanks for having me join and appreciate your help uh, promoting both of these opportunities for folks who might be interested. Thanks, Colleen.